Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion. Yes, in 2023, we are still the podcast that is cataloging, chronicling, opening, touching, and feeling all of the wonderful physical media put out by the incredible boutique Blu-ray label in Australia, Imprint Films. I am one half of your curatorial partnership, Lake Howard, in a darkened movie library of his own today is the one and only Alexi Toliopoulos. Blake, it is my joy and pleasure to be joining you once again to talk about these Blu-rays from Imprint Films. This is a bit of a catch-up episode. This is catch-up on our November episode from last year. We are playing a fast and furious catch-up because there is so much stuff that has been released over our kind of Christmas break in Australia. We've taken a bit of a hiatus, if you know Alexi, from the Finding series, Finding Drago, Mm -hmm. Finding Desperado, Finding Jesus on the YouTubes, and also Total Reboot. He's taken a bit of a hiatus. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus, so we haven't been back together. Um, if mm-hmm. you want to join our Patreon, you can jump on and check out our discoveries of last year, mm-hmm. um, including a cheeky imprint chucked in there. But we've had a yes. bit of a hiatus. We're catching the rest of the November batch. We have a December haul and mm-hmm. a February haul that we're going to catch up in probably successive weeks. We'll be back talking yes. about this. But we didn't want to miss because we were kind of gushing about the incredible After Dark Neo-Noir Cinema Volume 2, which we both contributed essays to, we thought we should pick up the the pieces of the rest of that batch. And we cherry-picked five films mm. from both the Roland Joffe box set and others that are in that batch to talk about with you guys. But, uh, man, there has been so much and so much great shit that we're like, we can't, we can't yeah. miss it. We've got to catch it up. I will probably say this on the record. This batch with the Neo-Noir box set included is probably the all-time greatest batch. Uh, it is pretty spectacular. There yeah. are a few others scant here and there, uh, big additions in batches. Like, of course, I'm a big fan of the Warriors release we had last year, mm. the mm. Wicker Man box set that we had last year. Oof. But I'd say pound for pounds, there are some real classics cult classics and interesting movies in this batch we talked about the big noir neo-noir box set already last year we gushed over it i think it's one of the best box sets i freaking have ever owned it is film school in a box it's a genre study in a box but the surrounding releases in this batch this november batch from imprint films is pretty freaking stellar i don't even know where to begin (laughs) but perhaps should we discuss this other big box set that came out in this release window as well. Let's do it.
directed by Roland Joffe, the 1984 to 92 uh, section of his career, and um, including actually has a documentary, a feature length docker that was produced in 2002. Um, that's about this period of his career, but it's mm. an incredible box set as well. It features the killing fields, which is one of his most loud, critically lauded films of all time. It mm -hmm. features the mission, which is an absolute stone cold classic, which we're going to talk about today. Um, it features 1988's fat man and little boy. Now, if you don't know that, I mean, you're going to want to hear us talk about it because it's essentially freaking Oppenheimer. And uh, mm -hmm. then we've got City of Joy in there as well. It's a banger collection. And I'm loving, loving, loving Lex, a filmmaker box set. Like if you just say mm. it's X filmmaker from X years, I'm like, as a as a registered cinephile, as you say, um, it's yep. like, I love just going chronologically through a director. I, I'll take his wins with his losses. I'll take his big swings for his more mm -hmm. conservatives. I just want to get that feel. And we had that terrific Jim Sheridan box set that was kind of around Oof, this at the yes. same time. So it's just another one of these. And then, of course, the collaborations box set, um, which mm. the Zangie Mao box set, which is peerless, I think, in the entire collection. I'm loving this from Imprint. More of this. Like, so many directors yeah. get underdone multiple studios bloody blah, blah but this was a banger and we're going to talk about two of the films contained within i really think that these box sets from imprint like you were saying they're such clever curatorial uh pieces really i think that they're such great ways to put a box set together to have either a specific period or a specific tone with the zhang yi mao we had their collaborations with gong li with the jim sheridan one it was specifically the irish films of jim sheridan and now with roland joffrey it's like a it's a time period set one and i think that these films together they are kind of like they work together because they are kind of like these socio-political uh, films that are kind of speaking to some kind of cultural uh, aspect to some kind of historical significance. He's, he's like a documenter of history through like narrative period films. Uh, I'm a little bit familiar with some of the films in here. I'd seen The Mission quite a few times in my life because it yeah. is like this known as a classic. It's mainly known in Australia for sure. I actually don't know about its reputation overseas, but its score has continuously been the number one score in ABC Classics uh, 100 scores. Like, count, like <laughs> over the years, it comes back, always is the number one. Which, for a film that is not completely known as like an unimpeachable classic, the way stuff like The Godfather or even other Morricone scores like uh, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly... For it to kind of retain that top spot, to even be in the top 10, I think is pretty... It speaks to the quality of this score and how it connects to people through popular culture and through the culture. Yeah, it's one of those weird ones where in Australia specifically, it's kind of omnipresent because Australian classic, mm. you know, AM radio, you kind of flick the dial and back in the day, you're like literally flicking the tubes you know, the, 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 the little buttons on your, your grandparents' car as you're driving around. And it was ubiquitous. Like from the time that it came out, it was like the entire memory of my entire life. I can remember this soundtrack playing. All right. From the back of the box itself, it reads, deep in the jungles of South America, two men bring God to a native tribe. One Jesuit missionary, the other a reformed slave trader. After years of struggle together, they find themselves faced with the agonizing choice obey papal dictate and abandon the mission 
or remain to defend the Indians they cherish. This is a terrific flick. It is stacked with special features, new making of the mission, um, uh, uh, documentaries, um, uh, talking about the making of any Morricone score. This is a, a fresh one. Yeah. We've got Lives in the Balance. Um, Chris really Menges, who's the cinematographer. We've got legacy interviews with both Jeremy Irons and Roland Joffe. And then there is a making of the mission doco from the BBC series Omnibus back in 1986 when it was made. Lex, talk to me about this incredible film and really a Titanic Robert De Niro mm. performance. Well, let's start there. That De Niro performance. I have seen this movie quite a few times. Rewatching it, I probably was not as encapsulated by it as I have been in the past. I think because, you know, I am so familiar with that score now. Like, it, 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 the score and the cinematography are what kind of drive this movie. And I think why it has any kind of strong reputation. But to me, it was the total rediscovery of Robert De Niro's performance. Because it is one of his most complex characters. Because he is like this almost mythological archetype come to life. It is almost like that Barabbas, but he brings a humanity to that kind of character that is so... It's like that authenticity that De Niro brings, that really, like, charged, ferocious authenticity. And there's that calm steadiness that, like, that covers that, like, strong anger. And I think it just works so well in this performance of someone forced to find their redemption and i think it is one of his most underrated performances coming back to this one i really really think it should be held in the same kind of high regard as his best work of this like 1980s period it's i think it's really fantastic yeah he's he has a weird and wonderful patch in his career in this 19 19- 80s period so you if you i mean he has so many films on his resume but when you go back to this period you've kind of got 78 is deer hunter then you've got 80 Mm. raging bull true confessions 81 king of comedy 82 once upon a time in america 84 falling in love 84 brazil Mm. 85 And then he goes, The Mission, 86, Angel Heart, 87, Untouchables, 87, and Midnight Run, 88. It's like, it is a wild, like, diverse, incredible Mm -hmm. bunch of performances. And this one seems to have been dwarfed around other more, I guess, commercial enterprises. Yeah, flashy stuff. Yeah. Also, because I think it's like a rare supporting turn for him. Like, in this era, there's a couple... But it's also not a showy performance the no. way that something like, uh, you know, his Al Capone in The Untouchables is or like the showstopper that he is in freaking Angel Heart the very next yeah. year. I think because this is kind of like, it's it's intense and it is quite huge, but it's like a measured support. It's like a true supporting performance, really. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I think when I think about the mission, I think about a man who is doing everything to suffocate his impulses. And so I think Mm. that that's, what's great is because De Niro is such an intuitive and impulsive performer. And what I think that Roland Joffe gets out of him here. And I think why he speaks so highly of the performance to this day is that Mm. he is having to 
restrain his impulses and restrain his fury. And it's the, the ability for the character to do that really well. And where that, and where it, you know, the, the ecosystem or the equilibrium of the entire film really hangs in the balance of his ability to not be violent, but it's, it's that cage lion that is just waiting to burst Mm. out and ruin everything. And I think that that's, that's, it's just one tiny element in this gargantuan epic that I think is so stunning. And it's just kind of bravura filmmaking top to bottom. It's got that, it's got that Werner Herzog kind of feel Mm. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that epic undertaking. It's 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 weird because I think I was less enamored by watching it now, but talking about it, I just go, yeah, the, it is. There is something quite special about the mission. I yeah. but I also think that since then there are movies. Well, the one that I'm thinking about in particular is Silence. That I think yeah. does what the mission is attempting to do really successfully, and um, it's kind of it is a little bit hard to go back to the mission but there is plenty to reward you there it is well known for a reason like that score is so transportive i i it's one that i do recommend people catch up with and there are shots you know we're talking about a brilliant blu-ray transfer there are Mm. shots in the mission that still to this day just even sequences that like you put it on and it's almost like the only thing that this would would make this like an undeniable individual kind of 4K or Blu-ray upgrade mm. if you've got it already in your collection is like, I would love just a score version, like a silent film mm. version of this where you're like, yeah. you just put it on and the score could be playing and you could just be overwhelmed by the shots because I think that that's, you're so right. It's the cinematography, it's the direction, it's the it's the setting. It's 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 just this kind of like, overwhelming experience but it's, it's really terrific and really beautiful one thing that i noticed re-watching this was uh the actor chuck Lowe, who we know as maury from goodfellas he pops up in like king of comedy and a few of those other uh, films of like de niro's because he was i believe de niro's real estate agent at the time and <laughs> he kind of wanted to do like some character actor stuff um, in this film, he's dubbed by the great Fred Melamed from uh, A Serious Man and stuff um, because I just don't think he could do the accent necessary for that character. I think that was something that I noticed this time. I was going like, oh, wow, that's not the voice coming out of his head. That's someone else doing ADR. Well, let's have a look at what Chuckalo has done. I only really acted... Um up until like 2003 did an episode of the Sopranos was in the sleepers mm. was in sleepers was in the mission was in once upon a time in America was in the king of comedy. His his Titanic performance is Mar- Maurice Kessler um, Maurice yeah. in, in Goodfellas. That's actually like sensational because he's vain yeah, and he's, he's so disgusting funny. and he's so funny. Um, but mm. man, what a career. That's a funny, I did not know that he was, is an actor. Um, and uh, rest in peace, Chuck Lowe passed away and uh, he was born in 1928. Holy shit. Passed away yeah. in 2017. My God. All right. Well, from something Titanic to something atomic. Stick in the playground. And I intend to do that. Academy Award winner Paul Newman heads an all-star cast in this powerful true story about the people who created the atomic bomb. There's one word that I don't want to hear. That's a word impossible. I can't do it. The entire project is beginning to unravel. Gotta come down out of the cloud, gentlemen, and get into the business of winning a war. Let's take a quick break so you can hear from our sponsors.
Next up, we're going to talk about another one of uh, that we've cherry-picked out of this Roland Joffy box set, partially because I had never seen it. Lex, I don't think, has seen it yet, but I wanted to talk no. with you guys about it. Fat man and little boy in the remote desert of New Mexico, the Manhattan Project is materializing. World War II effort to build the atomic bomb. General Leslie Groves is the military man in charge of a massive project that will produce two weapons, fat man and little boy. The film is scored again by N.A.O. Morricone. It's shot by the incredible and famous cinematographer Vilmos Zygmunt, and it stars... Oh, wow. Listen to this cast. Paul Newman, Dwight Schultz, Bonnie mm -hmm. Bedelia, John Cusack, Laura Dern, and John wow. C. McGinley. And I really wanted to watch wow. this because I'd never heard of it. And I chucked it on and I was like, holy shit, this is Roland Joffe doing a kind of Oppenheimer film well mm. in advance of anyone actually being fascinated with Oppenheimer as a character. Paul Newman plays this sort of gruff, very deeply political animal kind of uh, general Leslie R. Groves, who's commissioned to do this secret scientific, you know, sort of uh, a getaway, if you like, away from everyone. Dwight Schultz plays J. Oppenheimer. And it's about these guys trying to get together in amongst the secrecy of all of the American military to create this weapon. And it does its dance with the moral quandary of creating these weapons that are going to do unbelievable and unfathomable damage to human life and also dances around the fact that the you know that japan had essentially already surrendered and the americans went and bombed them anyway because they wanted to test this weaponry out and i guess establish themselves as the lone remaining superpower in the world obviously russia is hanging around there the ussr but it's a really fascinating interesting little film mm. john cusack is essentially the narrator of the film he's talking about the experiences it's kind of like feels like diary entries very documentarian-esque and it's it struck me as like it's very kind of classic it's still kind of old world it hasn't really aged as gracefully as you might have thought but man I was like so glad to see this because it's like this is such ripe territory. You can see why Christopher Nolan is fascinated with Oppenheimer as a character mm. and the moral quandary and digging deeper into that. This does a little bit more diffusion. It's focused a little bit on General Leslie Globes as Paul Newman. It's focused on Cusack. It's focused on, you know, John C. McGinley, who's just happens to be a scientist who hangs around with a chimp. Um, and uh, it focuses okay. on Oppenheimer's. Uh, relationships as well, uh, especially with a woman who has connections with the communist party. So it does like give you these little dalliances. It's not completely executed in, I think the same effortless way as like maybe the mission or, or the killing fields, mm. but man, you can tell that Joffy is like that kind of, I don't know whether it's like intuition or something. He's just got this real talent Lex for mm. finding these historical places to explore the corners and to myth bust. And I really enjoyed yeah the myth busting aspect of it. Cause it did not feel rara. It felt very kind of complex, complicated and, and, and definitely was comfortable in the uncomfortability. That is even a word of, uh, of, of what these people actually create and the burden of mm. that creation. So it's like scientific perfection and excellence, but at what cost moral or otherwise. So very fascinating little flick. And uh, so I would definitely recommend if those folks out there who are frothing Oppenheimer teasers, trailers, you're in the States, you've seen the IMAX stuff and you need to get a little bit of a fix of what this story is about. Roland Joffe did it. He did it all mm. the way back in 1989 and has a, uh, you know, a very kind of desperate, 
um, turn from Paul Newman at a time where he really started to feel himself as an older actor. Yeah, wow. So interesting. We've had a great little Paul Newman dalliance with the imprint films. Uh, I would also say in this box set... I didn't get a chance to catch up with it. I've seen it before back when I was a teenager working at the video store, but The Killing Fields probably is the best film in this box set. It's a it's a Definitely. really great historical film that uh, if that is your kind of bag, it is like a no-brainer. If you like those kind of like historical epics, uh, especially in those kind of like war war adjacent genres, um, it is it's a fantastic film that people should catch up with. Absolutely. Now, Lex, can we, can you take me back to school? And we judge ourselves by the highest standards. Dylan takes it, right draw, follow Chesty up the hole, on two, right! Good grades, the right schools, the right colleges, the right connections. Those are the keys to the kingdom. You're so different from the other boys. How's that? You have a serious side. Girls, eat your hearts out. Oh, oh no! <laughs> Never mess with my hair. I can't believe you did that. Thanks for taking care of my girl. Stop saying that. I'm not your girl. What the hell is this? It turns out our golden boy here is a lying, backstabbing kite. Come on, kite! Son of a bitch! You think the Jews are dirt, right? Come on, dude. It would be my pleasure to take you back to school via the mind of one of the great TV creators of all time, Mr. Dick Wolf, with the 1992 film School Ties. After receiving a scholarship to an exclusive prep school, working class teen David Green, played by Brendan Fraser, becomes a star athlete and wins the attention of a beautiful debutante. But the ties of his newfound friendships are broken when a student reveals the secret David has tried to conceal. He is Jewish. Now, David must take the most important stand of his life, one that will touch the lives of many and forever change the course of his future. This film has such an incredible cast. It stars Brendan Fraser. It's one of his earliest leading roles, uh, and it's an all-star cast following him, including Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Chris O'Donnell, amongst many of their other peers of that era. Um, it is an interesting little melodrama. Blake, did you have a chance to catch up with this one yet? I have never seen School Ties. I'm so disappointed that I haven't had a chance to check it out. It's got a audio commentary by a friend of our shows, Jimmy Hemphill, who's one of the best mm-hmm. Q&A moderators, film historians going around in the greater Los Angeles area. And he's done a brand new um, uh, director's commentary for this. He did another commentary track to Nobody's Fool, which is fantastic. Oh, Absolutely great. fantastic as well. Mm. Um, so I haven't seen it. And it's like one of those ones that I missed. It's kind of like, it was in that time of like sleepers and mm. dead poet. it's like, it's yeah. the bookends of sleepers and dead poet society and school ties fit right in the middle. And I missed it and I still miss it. And I was excited. That it's in the batch and I'm holding the box in my hand as we're talking, but I'm like, haven't seen it yet, but I would love to get your opinion on it because there's no way to nudge me towards a movie that if, uh, if there's an Alexi Tolliopoulos recommendation. This one is really weird. It's an odd <laughs> film. Um, it's quite interesting for me. I'm a big uh, Dick Wolf fan. Like I love Law and Order. You've this been comes known out as a Dick just... Wolf. 
I have been known. I, I <laughs> have been known to howl at the dickhead all the time. Um, but uh, this comes out like just at the dawn of Law & Order, a couple years into that, fir- that, that original series run. Uh, and... Mostly, this film is pretty daggy, but then there are like these moments and passages that feel so magically stripped from the past of like those Douglas Sirk melodramas or those social message cinema classics from Stanley Kramer. Like, it really it has those moments where you're just like, I'm watching a film from this 1950s period. Like, they, they capture the look of those films so perfectly at times. That's just completely transportive. And there's this kind of, like, wavering appreciation that I had while watching this film. And that even really applies to, like, those aesthetic moments as well, where just, like, there's times where this just looks like a TV drama. Like, it's got coverage of a TV yeah. drama. But then there's some shots and some wides and some establishing moments, some details, where it's like, holy shit, I'm transported back to, like, this much earlier in the 20th century period of filmmaking. And so he genuinely is a really interesting period piece. Like it truly kept surprising me. And I think it's interesting to go back and watch this one now because Brendan Fraser, he is the man of the moment. He's, he's likely to he's likely to be on the verge of winning an Oscar right now uh, for his performance in The Whale. Um, so it is kind of nice to go back and watch some of his lesser appreciated work as an actor because I think when we think of Brendan Fraser we think about the movie star uh, Brendan Fraser that we once had which of course it's the mummy iconic fantastic performance one of the best of its kind then we've got some great performances in Bedazzle that are more comedic George of the Jungle those George kind of, of the movies. Jungle deeply deeply underrated comedy very funny mm, I loved it but I haven't seen it since I was like seven years old so I can't really speak to it um, but uh, there are these smaller films, these great performances from him, and I think this is almost chief among them because he is so young in it. But I'm also thinking of like Gods and Monsters, and of course The Quiet American, where I think he even outacts freaking Michael Caine in his Oscar-nominated role in that. But he's just really superb as like this gentle character that is like against these odds uh in this like kind of fish out of water world he's really really sensitive really really powerful and he utilizes like all his skills in this one in a really nice way and he's just a wonderful presence and matt damon is one of cinema's most conniving little fucking rats and he is great in this movie he really i mean he just is one of the great rats and i think it's like a surprise oh. he's you think of him as a bit of a sci-fi that's but then that's when a- he does some rat shit you're like fuck you're one of the greatest rats man <laughs> That's that's what that's a that's a hundred out of a hundand ten out of ten five star Alexi is one of the cinema's he greatest is. fucking rats. God, he I is love one that. of the greatest fucking rats, man. Whenever you see him do rat <laughs> shit, like The Departed, oh. like the um, Interstellar, like oh. this is this is the, the real rat shit from him. The freaking talented Mister Ripley, mm. the rattiest fuck. He's fantastic. Mm. I also love that Matt Damon is willing to surrender to be the rat. There's a lot of guys who have got Mm. too much ego and he's absolutely fantastic. Wow. That's a huge recommendation. 
putting it to the top of my pile. But before, like we, we only have two movies left. And when I was thinking about which ones we, we should talk about, I have to immediately before we lose the momentum of your, of this amazing mm-hmm. podcast, I have to get you to introduce the audience to the fabulous stains. On lead guitar, depleted. On bass, dizzy heights. Ta-da! We're the stains, and we don't put out. You just can't be a gimmick. I'm not a gimmick. Some people think girls can't be rock and rollers. Well, I'm talking about the power television has to create. Those girls created themselves. She said things that I've always wanted to say, and I haven't been able to. I think every citizen should be given an electric guitar on her 16th yeah. birthday. Sucker! Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains. Corinne Burns, Diane Lane, is a typical frustrated teenager living in a nowhere town until she catches punk band The Looters, bewitched by the whole punk scene, she and her fledgling band The Stains join the tour and in no time at all become media magnets. The band forms a rabid following of young girls while Corinne begins a relationship with Looters singer Billy, played by, of all people, Ray Winston. As The Stains get bigger and bigger, harder than he's ever been in his life in this movie. Yeah, I love Ray Winston. As the stains get bigger and bigger, however, Corinne's ambitions get the better of her. Ladies and gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains never received a formal theatrical release and was only seen on late night cable, poor quality bootlegs, or on rare occasions at film festivals. Yet somehow, this 1981 film about a trio of misfit teenage girls who started a punk band went on to inspire a generation of female rockers. It stars Diane Lane, Ray Winston, Peter Donat, Laura Dern, and perhaps my favourites character actor in the whole movie uh there is this incredible monologue by christine lardy that is just one of the most stunning moments of pathos i i think that this is a fantastic movie i was lucky enough to see in the cinema a couple of years ago um the great film curator kate jinx from the see also podcast put it on at the golden age cinema one of her favorites as well and that she and her podcast partner Brody Lancaster just did a huge episode on uh, Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains on Sea Also, which I would highly recommend as a companion piece to this movie. Blake, you saw this for the first time, catching up with this uh, batch. It was absolutely sensational, Lex. You were not wrong. Incredible performances. It's. Uh, I heard a great quote today from the filmmaker Roger Avery actually on his podcast, the video archives podcast with Quentin Tarantino. And they talked about seventies movies being so cheap, especially around the Roger Corman era that they were so cheap that they were more reflective of society and the things going on in whether it's different cities or suburbia or whatever, because they didn't have the money to dress it up and cover up Mm. the things that they wanted to. And that quote immediately kind of got me enraptured even more thinking about the fabulous saints because it just feels the textures of this time and of this kind of band life and the way that the media interacts with them and the way that I guess 
the milieu of like this dissatisfied kind of early eighties Gen X youth, you know, movement, it just was unbelievable. I, I couldn't, I, mm. I, I was staggered by it. I was watching it. It looks fantastic. The performances are fantastic. Diane Lane is uncompromising and ferocious and impulsive as Corinne. She's so sensational. Laura Dern, Jess McNeil, who's like her best bud is like super powerful in that. And Ray Winston, as I, I couldn't even help myself. I had to interrupt you mid synopsis. Cause I was like blown away by just how beautiful Ray Winston was, how charming he was, how much his accent and that punk rocker ethos just like dripped out of his pores. Man, mm. this movie is sensational. It's like, as a, as, as I can say, as an acolyte of Josie and the pod, uh, Pussycats as as an acolyte of like band movies just in general mm. this is such a sensational fictionalized band it has such uh, a great story it's like the movie that Rockstar wishes it was it's the movie that a lot of these fictional narrativized movies wish they could be and I just loved every bit of it every frame of it I had such a fun time with these characters and I was like this is a total unheralded masterpiece and the fact that imprint films have finally got it for people to see in a wholesale way it's not part of a box set you buy it as this beautiful blu-ray mm. i'm so excited to see um uh I, i'm so excited to see it again and so excited to share it again i love this movie and you were you know right off the bat was like blake this might be one of the best movies in the batch so i, I I'm, mm. I'm so it, i was just thrilled i thrilled completely yeah, I think it's a great movie. It's messy, but it's the kind of movie that deserves to be messy. It's about that punk culture, and it's an early punk film as well. Uh, and it feels like, it almost feels like it's a true story, but it's not. Something like this never happened. It is fantastic. I like the issue that it might be the best in the batch, because I think that the last thing that we're going to discuss is, I. it's a true cinema classic. It is one of the greats of that breakthrough world cinema, one of the greats in the gangster genre. Blake, why don't you start telling us about Fernando Mariel's City of God. Academy Award, including Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Rio de Janeiro, The Beach, The Nightlife, The Romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. In the streets of the world's most notorious slum, Rio de Janeiro's City of God, a frail and scared young boy will grow up to discover that he can view the harsh realities of his surroundings with a different eye. Truly, this 2002 movie was a gateway drug for me in world cinema. I saw it as it was released and as a guy that was just exiting high school at that time and had had a limited access other than our phenomenal free broadcaster SBS is like world cinema, mm. um, seeing city of God and being truly hypnotized and just enraptured by this view of a city and this view of gangster life with this incredible, aesthetically pure and true, um, 
version of like what gangster life was like from a different cultural perspective. I, I, this is one of the best movies. I think it'd be one of my, you know, top movies of all time. I, I, as far Mm. as like first time watches, I love it. And the fact that it hasn't had a really fantastic release is a crime until now. And man, Lex, I can't wait to talk to you about city of God. It's a special, special movie to me. Yeah, me too. I was obsessed with this film around the like same age as you when I was a teenager. Um, between two thousand four two thousand nine, I reckon I would have watched this film at least a dozen times. It was an instant <laughs> favorite, a huge inspiration. I don't think I had ever seen a film that had felt like this. Something that felt so urgent, and it was like this style that was ablaze, informed by like an inferno of story. I was obsessed with it. I even devoured that spiritual successor TV series, City of Men, which yes. I watched countless and countless times. The follow-up film City or to City of Men as well, I really, really liked. Um, this is just... I couldn't believe like how taken I was because I think that what is really special about this film, it's like that gangster film that captures that strip from the headlines that the genre begins with and it makes it feel very tangible like there's like this teenage perspective to this movie and like this childhood perspective to this movie that I don't think has ever really been equaled ever or even matched in any no. kind of way with like that kind of teenage crime uh, like there's this roughness this indifference to violence the drugs and everything that kind of encro- encroach a young person's existence in this film that just kind of like feels so unending and especially i was watching it as were you like someone who would have been the same age as those characters and they would have the same wants and dreams as desires that i did but their story was so different to mine i just found that going back and watching it on this rewatch like that really hit me like just being like i discovered this film when i was the same age as the characters now i've lived longer than most of the characters in this movie did because my life just was completely different to them. My circumstances were completely different to them. And just like, it kicked me really, really freaking hard. And I, I watching it, I was taken back to just like sitting in this room, watching it on my tiny little, like probably 15 inch LD tube <laughs> TV. I just think that it's one of the most unexpectedly rewarding and powerful rewatches I've had in quite some time. I just yep. love this movie so much. Special movie. And it's one of those things where I I watched it like countless times when I first saw it, I hadn't seen it in years and I watched it again. And it's one of those things that it's the most minor trepidation that you have where you've seen a movie and you go, God damn, I hope that it doesn't tarnish the memories that I have because it was so influential to me. Mm. It was so inspirational to me to seek cinema outside. It pushed me into gangster cinema in other parts of the world. It pushed me into one of my other like favorite, like re- like just going on regional explore- explorative, like viewings of different you know countries. It pushed me into Iranian cinema, which I'm mm. hugely obsessed with. Um, you, you know, on completely different tangent because it's just the world was bigger after I watched City of God. And yeah. I can't think of like, you know, um, it was um, Matteo Gironi's film from 2008, Gamora, which won a Grand Prix oh, prize God. at Cannes. I like, fucking love that movie. I That's the last time that I've seen something like that, that kind of almost was like a similar mm. flavor of City of God, where I was like, yeah. I'm watching something that is totally in a, in a, in a genre that I am 
steeped in that is doing something completely different at a different pace, at a different tone, at a different setting with different characters being highlighted that, and, you know, Gamora has gone off and spawned different TV series. It was based off a book mm. by Robert Saviano. And so, you know, I would strongly recommend that as a, a great double feature as like city of God and Gamora, like as these two completely, you know, world cinema, you know, classics of the crime genre, but mm. yeah, city of God, just a special special, special movie i haven't seen city of men in freaking decades so you've just man i had to that again i've tracked down the dvds because it was very hard to find online and i was able to find the dvds i used to have them on dvd too i had no i could not find my old copies anywhere so i tracked down the dvds and it's just uh really great i would also give a shout out um to it is on uh, I let me just double check it's still on there but I saw this on Netflix it's still on there um there's a documentary called City of God 10 years later from 2013 which catches up with a lot of the child stars um and it's kind of a tough watch it's kind of a touch watch tough watch because this documentary begins in an area of fascination catching up with those young amateur actors that brought that authentic lived experience to the now classic film but unfortunately, this film finds difficulty in carving out its identity or point of view. It attempts... I'm just reading my old letterbox review. It attempts to both be a celebration of the film's success, but also lament the possible exploitation of those young stars. But it just kind of never takes that stance. But there are some of those interviews with the old stars that are just fascinating especially uh, the actor that went on to find... There's a few actors that went on to find quite a bit of success that like going into City of Men, which was a huge show in Brazil. But of course, Sue George, who is in City of God, and then he gets to do the Wes Anderson movie, uh, <laughs> Life Aquatic of Steve Zissou, becomes yeah. quite a major pop music star across the world. Um, it's fascinating i wish it had actually been included on the disc but yes. it's on netflix anyone can freaking watch it uh city of god 10 years later i think it's a really it's a it's a it's a worthy companion piece after you've watched the film to catch up with that documentary sensational to talk to you my brother as always and get deep on the discs um guys thank you so much for listening uh follow everything that i'm doing at one blake minute on both twitter and instagram or at one heat minute productions you're either listening to this in the imprint companion feed or on our One Heat Minute Productions feed. Um, so you can just hit up oneheatminute.com to find out everything that we are doing, including uh, audio essays, new, brand new monthly mm. audio essays that are coming out. We've just done one with Ethan Warren on The Fablemans, which was absolutely sensational. I'm super excited for you guys to hear what's coming next. And you got a big shout out for it in Vulture, which was very exciting to see. Super exciting indeed. Um, I, I might even, Lex, could I, could I, could I tease the next audio essay? Yes. Let's and do it. No, you may not. You I'm must gonna... share it explicitly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to tease this. The next audio essay, this is the first time announcing it. Brandon Strasnig, who is a Twitter darling, film mm. Twitter darling. I really like his shit. He's awesome. Terrific writer is coming on to do a special audio essay on Albert Payne's Mean Guns. Starring Christopher Ooh. Lambert and mm. Ice T, a bit of an unsung yeah. masterpiece cool. from action filmmaker. Um, so we have that. Tom Rolston has done our special art again. So thank you to Tom. Excited to share that one. We already have marches. I'm gonna have to keep that one 
up my sleeve and only tell Lexi about it for you guys. But Lex, oh hell yeah, I'm gonna tell you about that. But um, you guys are completely rebooting aptly mm. total reboot this year as you and your lovely uh, co-host dear friend of uh, yours and a friend of mine cam james um are, are, are forging ahead on potentially some new mm. finding stuff so uh tell us a little bit about what's going on with you oh so at the moment we're developing something quite big but you know that's why i've been taking a little bit of time off from the pods i can't really say too much about it but I think, you know, if you're listeners to our podcast, you always know that when Cameron and I take breaks from podcasting, it always means that we're working on something that we're really excited about. Uh, so our listeners are very generous with uh, accepting that from us, which is very nice. Um, but we also, we are doing a new podcast uh, later on in the year, probably sooner than we expected as well, where we'll be doing something that's kind of like almost like the B stories to finding, like stories that will kind of fascinate us and populate that kind of same space as finding, but in a more casual, relaxed, chatty way. Um, But that'll be in a little while away. In the meantime, I'm going to do a little bit of movie podcasting on the Total Reboot feed um, pretty soon. I just need to take a little break, decompress while I've been making this new idea. Um, And yeah, so stay tuned. Stick around on the Total Reboot feed. There's going to be heaps of stuff in there. Uh, just you know have been working on something really all encompassing recently that has stopped us from getting there but I want to do some kind of film recommendation potos on that feed very very soon I'm excited for the film recommendation potos that are going to pop up on the feed because I know that like truly um, Lex's recommendations mean the hell a lot to me so I'm excited about getting together maybe having maybe having a nice meal a few drinks we can watch Mm. your film recommendation together jump on the mics afterwards that might be a might be a nice little fun evening out I've got one for you, Blake, that's going to be really good. <laughs> i got one for you that I know you have not seen that I think will knock you. Uh, I can't wait. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you up. This has been the end of the November batch. We're going to pick pick of the batch uh, for December and then jump headlong into February. So you're going to probably hear us maybe once a week until we catch you up because Imprint's calendar is absolutely insane. The the batch after batch is lining up. So we're going to keep you guys posted on that as well as um, jumping over to the Blues Brothers feed um, over on One Eight Minute Productions, more mm. reviews of other physical media that is coming out. So we'll keep you posted on that. But thank you for listening. Keep those discs spinning and we'll catch you on another episode of In Companion very, very soon. I'm Ethan Warren. I'm the author of the book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, coming April 2023 from Columbia University Press. And I'm here to invite you down to Hot Tracks Nightclub, onto the schooner Golden Fang, into the House of Woodcock and Fat Bernie's Pinball Palace, because coming next spring from One Heat Minute Productions, it's Pod Thomas Anderson. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! Starting now, you're not to blink. If you blink, we go back to the start. I cannot begin my day with a confrontation. 
This is faith that brought us together. This is faith. Throughout this nine-episode audio documentary series, you'll be hearing from me with some excerpts from my book, plus excerpts from my conversations with some fascinating guest voices, including film critics. My name is Ty Burr. I'm Cassidy Olson. My name is Ella Kemp. Actors, comedians, and podcasters. My name is Paul Russ. Hey, I'm John Gabris. I am Joe Perra. And so much more. We'll have an episode on each of your PTA favorites. That's right, we're talking Hard Eight. It's almost impossible to imagine the PTA of this century making anything that looks like this. We're talking Boogie Nights. Fuck, it's about family and how you don't find family via birth. We're talking Magnolia. I went into the theater, one person. I came out of the theater, a different person and a different moviegoer. We're talking Punch Drunk Love. It's kind of like a sweet romance story, but the anger that is underneath is so funny. We're talking There Will Be Blood. And you're not prepared for how good it is and how cool it is and how amazing it looks. We're talking The Master. There are so many interpretations you could bring to this movie. It's that dense. It's that ambitious. We're talking Inherent Vice. It's this layer and layer and layer of both indecipherable corruption, but then also like that corruption can be funny. We're talking Phantom Thread. Rarely has it been the case where I have felt that I was in masterful hands from the very first shot. And we're wrapping it all up with a slice of licorice pizza. How do you take the statements of your youth and then how does that fundamentally stay the same but also kind of soften or change? So subscribe to One Heat Minute Productions now on your podcasting app of choice. Next spring, you'll be getting all nine weekly episodes right there. And in the meantime, if you pre-order the cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha today, wherever you get your books, then you'll be a star. A big, bright, shining star.